1: you're listening to the tennis.com podcast and here's your host ed mcgrogan Tennis.com podcast time. Did you miss us? I uh, It's been a little while. I realize I'm Ed McGrogan here with Richard Pagliaro. Um, still, in my opinion, recovering from the U.S. Open, uh, the whole Grand Slam season in general. Uh, tennis obviously doesn't stop for that with the uh, Davis Cup right after. But this week, finally, um, there really uh, is not too much going on, so I think it was a good time to kind of take stock of, uh, of where we're at right now. I'm here again. As I mentioned with Richard Pagliaro. Um, from this fall season, Richard, uh, you know, I've got two sort of minds on it. Is One, I was thinking that this fall could be a very captivating season, what with Djokovic's record. Really, he has one of tennis's greatest achievements at stake, depending on how he finishes the year. Every match of his is kind of a big deal at this point. On the other hand, you see players pretty much universally displeased with the with the schedule. That's not a new thing, but they've been kind of more vocal about it this year. You know, What do you think about this fall upcoming? Is it an uh, ex- exciting time or kind of going to fizzle out?
0: I'm excited by it because I think you have guys who have kind of hung around the top 10, like uh, montfi's Almagro, guys who maybe haven't done it in majors who are trying to protect that top 10 position. And then you got guys like uh dogo Isner, visner uh Tip Cerevich, guys who want to make that push into the top ten, so I think you'll see guys eager to play you know a pretty full fall schedule to try to to try to crack that top ten and you got guys trying to hold on there too, so that's that's always interesting for me, and also stylistically, when you get into the Paris indoors, you see like the very rare servant volley or like a low dry You see kind of a little bit more styles how styles can impact the game indoors a little bit.
1: This is this is kind of the oddly enough, even though the French are more associated with Claire, so they're, they're actually like a very. Uh, indoor tennis-oriented group players. I think about, like you mentioned, Loder of course. Simone.
0: Simone's had great indoors. Simone
1: did really great in 2008. He beat Federer at the Masters Cup. Um, Songa is his only Masters win in Paris. Monfis is like a guy who I think you're dead on about that,
0: that this is the kind of time where he makes hay a little bit, especially in Paris. He loves playing there, and sometimes indoors brings out the the aggression in Gasquet. Who he'll play twelve feet behind the baseline outdoors. You put him indoors, he gets a little bit more motivated to come forward, which he can do.
1: Yes, there's more to be. Uh, I guess oddly, there might be more to be motivated about when there's less on the line. Really, yeah, for, exactly, yeah. for guys like that. Um, so while we have indoor on the mind, who are some of the guys that? I think we mentioned a few of the French players. Are there any more that come to mind that you could? Because it it tends to be that this time of year you you send us see a surge from a, a player. We've seen it, like David is a really good example. Yeah, he's he, a good one. He won back to back. Saffin when he was still around.
0: I think a guy like Del Potro has got to be real motivated coming off what happened in Serbia, and that he seems to be getting his health together. And look, Isner since Newport has played his best tennis of the year after a really sort of struggling you know just kind of spinning his wheels the first half of the year so to me that's a guy who should really be motivated
1: yeah is there is, a, is an interesting case there he um you know the speed of the service that would certainly suit his game and he he could probably gain a lot from from this time of year too um you know possibly possibly try to contend for that top american slot um and
0: he's I, one of those guys that you figure he's due for a good you know, out of North America, result he always seems to play his best here in the states. You want to see him carry that over overseas, which he hasn't really done. But he, you know, he seems like he's due for that.
1: Maybe, maybe even Andy Roddick too. Right now, that, now that I think right. about. It. I mean, he, he did have a strong U.S. Open. You know, aside from kind of, you know, um, just tiring by the end there. But that was um, that was a. Su- a pretty surprising result for him in Flushing Mellows, all things considered, with how poor his year has been sure. coming to that point.
0: And he's a guy who's been around long enough where he sees the big picture looking ahead into Australia. You don't want to be out of the top 20 you know, going there in January. I mean, you want to get your, your ranking up for seeding purposes for 2012.
1: Now, now, saying all that, though, uh, this year, if nothing – well, this is, of course, the year of Novak Djokovic that can't go understated, but – this year, really, if it if it wasn't for Djokovic just cleaning house everywhere, you might remember this year as more of the year of just utter dominance by this top four group here. I mean, they they made it seems it seems like almost every tournament that they were in, Masters or Slam, you'd see a minimum of three of them in the final four. Um, so, what's coming into the fall here with all this sort of you know, is it like a very apathetic autumn season, like? Do you expect these guys to continue that sort of motivation level of play when things really aren't at stake as much? I think the level
0: of play could be there. I'm not sure about the motivation because you're seeing sort of the aches and pains in Djokovic now and just uh, – just, you know, you just – think the law of average is he can't keep going at that level, although he's playing an extraordinary level. Nadal does not like to play indoors hardcore. It's, that's that's probably his least favorite surface. So I think he might just limit it just based on that. He, he just doesn't like the surface that much. I would think Federer of the big four is the guy who really sort of feels like he has something to prove. He's been on the cusp of that big win in a major and just – a few points here and there could have made all the difference, you know. I mean Djokovic definitely could do well. It's just you wonder if, you know, the back injuries, all this stuff is his body kind of crying out for a break. And, you know, let's not forget he played into December last year. So that's yeah. been I mean he really hasn't had a break. He really
1: hasn't had a break, you know, plain and simple, period. Yeah. But I think you're right about Djokovic and Feder or I guess Federal will start with him. It's it's that um this is actually the point last year where um, after the open loss to Djokovic, Federer kind of got revenge pretty much through the rest of the of the of the fall and winter, and he it, it almost seems like forgotten at this point. But th- but Federer did beat Nadal last year's Tennis Master Cup right. final. I think Federer was a lot of people's favorite to win the Australian Open after what he had done with Anacone. Um, you know, a full a full kind of a slate of tournaments with him. So it, it does seem like Federer. I would find it hard to believe that Federer would end his year with only one
0: tournament. Right, him, so. and a minor title like there, that. Yep. You know? And maybe, like you said, you'll see more of the Anacone influence, although we say that all the time before the big tournaments, and he hasn't shown. Yeah, the thing with Nadal, I thought he was really, really candid after the Open final about, look, the serve let me down. I'm not getting free points off the serve. So I'm really intrigued to see how he approaches the serve and what adjustments he makes in terms of the toss, the grip, slight difference, stuff like that. And if he really, if that's a focus for the fall, look, I got to get the serve back to the point where I'm getting some free points. And if he can do that, you know, that might change his whole perspective. Yeah. I got,
1: I got to think that for Nadal, this fall is going to be kind of a, um, it's just, it is what it is. It's there because Nadal of course is going to be the one thing that I will say he should be motivated for. And I expect him as a Davis cup final now, because Spain's in there. um, It'll be in Spain again you can expect you can expect Nadal I think to put that as the higher priority than anything really Although, um, like
0: you said he's got the find the masters cup points to defend and that's a pretty big
1: you know. yeah i mean i suppose he has to win a lot to keep up with uh, Djokovic to even be in the spitting distance um, you know I, I think for rafa it's really the, the you know it's almost like a next year thing at this point for him but we'll you know we'll see what that is um, and for Djokovic, i was looking at his playing schedule before this latest, um, this back injury here. And I was looking at it for the reason that, you know, I wanted to see how realistic Djokovic's chances were at this 82 and three record. And, you know, he was actually slated to play quite a few tournaments, not just Shanghai and Paris and the master's cup, but he has some of the Asian commitments. You can, I'm sure tie that to, you know, some, some of the exposure that he wants to get, of course, he was also going to play in Basel again. Still, right, and, and, and so he's was done, it,
0: played well there too. The
1: yeah, play. so it was pretty surprising to see what Djokovic's fall had in store, and you wonder how that's going to be amended now at this point uh, with with his injury. But um, I do the the story of him going for arguably tennis's best year. I think is still. Um, The major story this fall and we'll see kind of where you know where he ends up there
0: the other thing that we don't talk about a lot but it's worth mentioning is these guys are up for bonus you know they a lot of them have endorsement deals with their racket manufacturer or the apparel companies where you know you keep winning you get more titles that's more money that's more bonus money and that is an incentive for some of these guys yeah yeah there's uh yeah, there's always something. It's it's not going to stop. It may
1: slow down a little bit after the open, but uh, you you guys know by now this isn't going anywhere. But uh, the next tour stop. So um, one guy of the four we didn't mention, Andy Murray. Um, he had some some choice words on, on the schedule, uh, specifically financially based. He was talking about the U.S. Open, which um, may. I mean, I could totally see this happening going to 15 days at some point, um, you know, trying to trying to just basically stretch it out as long as they can there. Um, but he was kind of griping about the, the money situation for the players. And then to come to combat that was Michael Steak. Um, yeah. And so why don't you go over that a little bit? What Steak said and, um, you know, kind of your take on that.
0: Well I think what Steak was basically saying is, you know, it's not as maybe cut and dried as Murray suggests, because what tournaments represent is job. It's job's opportunity. And so if you're one of the top five or six guys or top ten or twenty guys in the world, you know, sure you can be on the bandwagon, you know, we don't need more tournaments, we need less tournaments, because most of the time you're going pretty deep in the draw, so you're making your money anyway. But what if you're outside the top fifty? What if you're fifty to hundred? Those 250 tournaments, 500-level tournaments, those are jobs for those guys. And I don't think – I think Murray, you know, I think he, they, they, they had a good show of solidarity at the open when Murray and Roddick and Nadal came together and really sort of forced the USDA's hand about the about the Monday final. But I think there is that chasm between the top. Sort of the top guys and the guys who the chasm top Chasm in 50. the rankings and otherwise. Yeah, it's the haves and the haves not. And if you're not one of those top guys, you know, you want more tournaments because it's more jobs. Because, you know, it gives you an opportunity if you don't qualify to go to the next tournament and qualify and get your ranking points and get your money. So I think that they don't always acknowledge that when they're talking about, you know, what's best for the players, what's best for the game. There's sort of a two tier. Focus about what's best for the game because it depends where you're ranked and how much money you have, as far as so. I think Steve and Steve, who's now involved, in yeah, the so tournament gonna, side say, of it, he is, he's got the perspective of hey, I was a top player, now I'm on the tournament, and it's not only the jobs for the players, it's jobs for tournament staff, and yeah, and he, the exposure for the game to take the game into smaller markets that's important.
1: He's with uh in Hamburg with the right. which a uh, tournament that's gonna be kind of saddled over the years, with right, falling from, from, going from
0: the masters,
1: so, yeah, so uh, he um, he's definitely on that perspective of course
0: and he um, also said hey look you know it, it would basically your 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 view would hold a little more validity if you, these guys weren't running around chasing exhibition dollars so that you know they're on the one hand talking out of one side of their mouth about hey we need a shorter schedule but then some of these same guys are going out and playing you know for the exo dollars so it's sort of it's a little bit hypocritical
1: yeah the you know the exo thing that's the that's the one argument that i think critics always tend to make about the players that no matter what they say they're still going to be playing during the uh during the dead months here for a paycheck somewhere and and the players do usually little to disprove that it, yeah. it's um you know it it can be of course you know made for a a charity thing or whatever sure. but but the the point is is that they are not recuperating or um, getting what they, des- what they desire out of the season, which is an extended, true break from tennis. Um, and and so- that's
0: true because you're, you're playing so many different co- – I mean, I understand what they're saying. They have a legitimate gripe that you, the travel, you know, the different time zones, the different surfaces. But, like, hey, let's look at a guy like Djokovic after the French Open. What did he do? He didn't go play a grass court tune-up. He said, what I need now is rest. I need to rest and get ready for Wimbledon. And maybe he took some criticism for that, but in the long run, he went out and won Wimbledon, and maybe maybe that helped him. You know, maybe sometimes you got to scale back your own schedule before asking the tour to. Well, make what it.
1: I was thinking about Djokovic too is that actually, in hindsight, that um, retirement in Cincinnati actually doesn't look too bad right, right now. When you right. uh, when you see what uh, against Andy Murray, when you see what he did at the Open, of course, I think almost a little bit as well is if you remember that U.S. Open final there it, it wasn't Djokovic who said that he experienced that back pain, I think before right, the start before of the open that, yeah. during that final, there was, um, you know, from the commentary booth, you saw him kind of pick our, you know, stretching the back and everything. And they. um, you know, I do wonder if that if that ended up going five sets of Nadal didn't kind of really wane at the end there. If uh, if Nadal might have kind of caught him at the end there, and he did say Djokovic kind of was on fumes. It seems yeah, like, and he yeah. said
0: in the interview after he did not want to go five because he felt Nadal was stronger. And I I tend to agree with him after watching the match. You know, he felt if it went five, Nadal physically would have would have had the advantage. And you know, after you've seen what happened to him in Davis Cup, you could kind of see why why he would feel that way. Yeah. Well, that is all for right now, and uh, we'll be back, I promise you,
1: sooner with another podcast. Uh, I am Ed McGrogan here with Richard Pagaro, and we'll say um, congratulations to Thomas Mooster, retiring, going out on top, age, uh, is it 44 now, you said? 44, gave it a good second go. Take care, friends. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.